If you would take your scriptures, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be reading the entire verse, 1 through 23. Philippians 4. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Eudi and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you share in my distress. Now, you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Ephroditus the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we know that you are the sovereign Lord Almighty and the Redeemer of your people. You have given us your word to open the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we come to your word this morning. You told the Israelites in the very beginning, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Help us take these truths and fix them in our hearts. Give us ears with which to hear and hearts with which to understand. Write upon our hearts the commandments of your word and help us to apply them in our lives. Open your gospel that we might rest in you. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, we heard that verse 20 was the final verse of the substance that Paul was delivering in this letter. Yet we come three more verses. This is a greeting from the people of Paul at Rome. 
Why do we need to spend time here? Do you remember what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture means every verse. We need to look at these last three verses because God has something in each one for us. Paul generally, in his letters, began with an introduction. He also ended with greetings and some personal notes. We see now in this marvelous letter to the Philippians that it is closed with greetings from those in Rome who have been his supporters. Paul's focus in his time under arrest in Rome has been worship. He shows that in verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. With such a powerful statement, there is nothing left to say but to close with some personal greetings. As we begin this study, I wonder what was in Paul's mind when he said in verse 21a, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. I believe we can garner what his thoughts were by remembering all he taught. We heard that his heart overflowed with love. We also learned that his conscience was touched by God for what, for, uh, what God did for us. Touched by God because of what God did for us. I'm sorry. I'll get it straight here in a minute. <laughs> this is for everyone who names the name of Christ. For all who are beloved of God. For all who are redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. What Paul wanted the reader of this epistle to understand is that there is a deep and a foundational unity among all Christians. We all are drawn to one another by the same thing, by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. A unity that neither race, age, gender, denomination, class, time, nor distance can in any way blur. There is no greater tragedy of the Christian church today than we have allowed secondary things to come between us when in fact we're all called as one in Jesus Christ. I think you can understand from this verse that there was a very special word for Christians at Philippi. The special word came from the Christians in Caesar's household. Verses 21b and 22. The brethren who are with me greet you, all the saints greet you, but especially those who are of Caesar's household. And we have no idea as to who the identity of these were, these people that he's talking about were. Most likely they would have been slaves, servants, and, and soldiers that worked in the palace. Why do they send greetings to the saints at Philippi? It seems reasonable that they had been touched by the gifts that were sent to Paul. It was those gifts that made it possible for Paul to preach the gospel and see many of the, these people saved. So when they learned Paul was sending Ephrodites back home with a letter to the Philippians, they wanted to be remembered to the people they saw as the reason for their being able to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 23, The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 
these words are pointed to where your spirit focuses on the place where God meets his children. What Paul teaches is that we must be concerned with the spiritual realm. It's this realm that matters above everything else in this world as well as in the world to come. This is the relationship between God and man. This is the realm where grace is operative. What did Paul mean when he used these words? Why did he want the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ to be with them all? I think the only way, the only way we can answer these questions is to get into the heart of this apostle. How can we do that? We, can, we must look back at Paul's first meeting with the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul came from the order of the Pharisees. Now understand this. He was a legalist of legalists. If there had ever been a legalist in this world, Paul was it. He was the top of the order. Yes, he did believe in God. He believed in God with great passion. He was a staunch believer in the God of Israel. He believed God had made a strong covenant with his people. He believed reconciliation with God could come only through perfect attendance on the law. He also believed that you had to, to hold to the traditions that grew out of the law in order to be right with God. Paul had made all of this his pattern for living. He did his best to follow the law. Pastor Gwen Thomas says, Indeed, his zeal for his religion was such that when certain Jews spoke of Jesus as the Messiah, Savior, it was his mistaken zeal which caused him to persecute them, to attack them as deceivers, and Jesus as the arch-deceiver. What were his actions driven to by such thoughts? He wanted to go out and destroy them. He wanted to go out and put them in prison to have men like Stephen murdered. And all of this, the way we see God deal with Paul, I think can be just a little bit disturbing. Why is that? Because it's the same way he deals with us all. What does he mean by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? He means that if we find ourselves without the grace of the Lord, we are absolutely nothing in his eyes. So let us take a minute and let's examine the experience of Paul. This man, Saul of Tarsus, was part of these zealous Jews. These were the people persecuting our Lord Jesus Christ and the Christians who believed he was the incarnate God. These Christians believed in the very one sent by God, born of the Virgin Mary, by the works of the Holy Spirit. Christians understood that even though he was divine, he took on himself human life. To Saul, this man, Jesus Christ, was judged, condemned, and died, crucified upon a cross in disgrace, bringing upon himself the curse of the law. It was this man and those who believed in him that claimed he was the Messiah, the king, sent to redeem people, both Jew and Gentile. What Paul saw in this Christian movement was that they were blasphemous. They were doing everything they could to destroy the hope of Israel, the Messiah, the priestly king and conqueror. A more disturbing thing to Saul was that these people declared they were right with God. How could they do this? 
They didn't believe it was because they were members of the covenant or had been circumcised or had kept the law. These people had the audacity to strike at the very root of the Jewish religion, which meant living according to God's law in order to please him and remain in his favor. Saul realized if these people were right, then he was fundamentally wrong. But he believed he was right. The law was on his side. So this man's teaching and all of his followers must be exterminated. We've got to get rid of them. This today is the attitude of too many believers, unbelievers now. What more? These people claim this Jesus was divinely alive, which Paul knew wasn't true because he knew Jesus was crucified on the cross. Saul's concern was that they were beginning to preach this belief in the resurrection, undermining the whole of the religion of the day. They were polluting Judaism, destroying the faith of Israel. So it was imperative that they destroy and exterminate this false religion. This was Paul's plan when he left Jerusalem and was going up that Damascus road. These are the facts as we know them about Saul of Tarsus. You can clearly see his hatred for Jesus and all Jesus represented. He also hated all of Christ's followers. What changed all of this? Saul, the persecutor, had his whole life changed on that road to Damascus. On that road, he came face to face with the Lord Jesus Christ. He learned that this Lord was the one crucified on Calvary's cross and then raised from the dead. At this confrontation, certain issues were settled in Paul's mind and settled forever without any doubt. Jesus was alive. He spoke to Saul person to person. And the first thing Saul did when he got to Damascus was to prove that Jesus was the Son of God, Acts 9.22. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Because of this, what did Saul begin to do? He began to preach. As Pastor Gwen Thomas says, he preached not only was Jesus alive, but he was also gloriously alive. Jesus was not some emanation. He wasn't a ghost that he had seen. No, Saul knew he had been confronted with the glory of the risen Christ in all of his splendor and majesty. This was the one who carried the very stamp of divinity. In recognizing this, Saul fell on his face at the feet of Christ, the Lord, because it was clear to him that he was in the very presence of God. God knew exactly where Saul was on that road. He knew the very thoughts in his mind. He understood Saul's difficulties and problems. He knew the dark places of Saul's mind and the things he struggled with. The risen Lord said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you're to do. God dealt with this man, Saul. He changed this man, Saul, into the apostle Paul.
on this Damascus road, Paul became a servant of the Lord. He took his place with God as a slave, as a missionary, as a man of obedience throughout his life to the point he willingly gave his life for his Lord. He made the object of his life worship and obedience. His submission was total. Lord, what will you have me to do? We find two points cleared up in these verses. First, it makes clear Jesus is divine. Second, it makes clear the grace of our Lord. I want to make sure in this that you're not misled about Christ's divinity. There were some Anglican theologians in the 50s that addressed this issue of Paul's encounter with Jesus. Now, one of those was William Barclay. Some of you may have heard of him. These Anglicans desire to express the uniqueness of Christ in a way they think will be acceptable to people in the modern world. They do that by looking for other words for the incarnation and for the Son of God. In doing this, they fail to guard the divinity of Christ. This makes it seem in their statements that Jesus is not divine. They give him a unique place, but not as being divine. They question and challenge the teaching that he was divine. So, let's examine this experience of Paul a little bit closer. These theologians believe this situation with Paul on the Damascus Road did take place. But, they think it was some kind of physiological reason for what he underwent. If they're right, then Paul was fundamentally wrong. Therefore, they don't believe Jesus is the Son of God. Paul could not have met him on the Damascus Road the way the book of Acts tells us. Therefore, Paul is seen as being deceived. It also says his missionary life was grounded in his misconception of who Christ was. Thus, the thousands of people converted by his labors and the millions by his writings have all been deceived. It is right humorous to me that men in education, highly educated, can believe that they, 1,900 years later, can know more about that experience than the one who lived it. What they want you to believe is 1,900 years later, they have discovered the hidden truth the church has missed over its entire lifetime. I think it's clear. That's not, a, not surprising they have come to this conclusion. They came to it because they have only returned to the place where they actually started. They do not accept that God can reach down into a human life. They do not believe in the miracles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Miracles such as the virgin birth or the resurrection. They try to come up with explanations that do away with the miraculous part of it. They started reading the New Testament already convinced that the miracles must be removed. But when they take this to its logical conclusion, the divinity of Jesus Christ must be removed also. Pastor Gwen Thomas says, they have approached this with their own philosophy and set themselves up as their own gods instead of submitting to the revelation of God himself. They have decided what is to be the revelation of God, which is a very serious thing to do. Paul came to see that the resurrection was extremely important. 
and that his experience confirmed and corroborated the evidence of the apostles. There were still many different ideas about the resurrection around, and he answered them with facts. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 4 through 8. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me, also as one born out of due time. It's important. It's important that we make no mistakes as to what is involved when the divinity of our Lord Jesus is questioned. To miss the truth of Christ's divinity would cause the whole of the New Testament to need to be rewritten. Our church service would have to be changed. We would be a people without hope. Can you imagine what Paul would have gained by thinking he had met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus? Now, if you look at it in human terms, he didn't gain anything. He lost by it. Instead of being honored as a Jewish scholar, he would have lost his place on the council. He would have lost his home and all the comforts that went with that. He would have come under great persecution and beatings for his heresy. He would have been hated and hunted by his own people. Finally, he would have been running away because he would have been executed if he refused to deny Jesus as God. But this man, Paul, he persisted. He persisted in saying that through Jesus Christ, he had come into the kingdom of God. It is only by accepting this spiritually that the changes in Paul's life make sense. Think about this. If Christ was not divine, the life of Paul was meaningless. And what he wrote was misleading. For the message of his epistles were his proclamation that Christ was the Lord and Savior and God manifested in the flesh. If this is not true, we're left with Jesus, the good human being, with no Savior and no hope. This is what Paul saw so clearly. 2 Corinthians 15, verses 13 through 19. If there's no resurrection of the dead then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ whom he did not raise up if in fact the dead do not rise. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only, we have hope in Christ. We are of all men the most pitiable. But thanks be to God. Christ is alive and risen and working in this world through his grace. Paul is telling the people of Philippi, as well as you and me, his experience on the road to Damascus was where he met Jesus himself. This was when he came to meet God in a way he had never known him before. He shows that it is through Jesus Christ that you find acceptance with God and access, access into his presence through his atoning death. It's through Jesus Christ 
that you enter into the relationship of sonship to God where you can call God your Father. It is through Jesus Christ alone that you can enter eternal life. These things were beyond Paul's greatest expectation. You must see these things are better than anything the world can offer you. Paul said, for me to live is Christ. Because through Christ, this inheritance which transcended everything in this world is fulfilled. This was all a result of the day he met Christ as Lord. Pastor Gwen Thomas asked the question, can you imagine this Jew who was so concerned about the Almighty God ever using the word Lord unless he believed Jesus Christ was God? Paul declared that for all his sin and fall short of the glory. But the one he met on the Damascus Road was Jesus. Here is what the New Testament and Christianity is all about. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is a real smelly thing, very odorous, to take the opinions of false teachers concerning the teaching of Paul. You need to be careful. They don't hold a candle to Paul, not a one of them. It is worth our remembering that Paul had hated Christ and was converted because the risen Christ had come into his heart without an invitation. Jesus told him, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Over the history of the church, there have been great saints, men who have also repeated the same realization of Christ as the risen Son of God. Men like Augustine, John Huss, John Wycliffe, Martin Luther, John Calvin, John Knox, John Wesley, Charles Spurgeon. And many, many hymn writers and millions of men and women have found the peace of God through the forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ. What does the apostle mean by the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ? You must see this as a a very important concept. Because it is at the heart of Paul's experience. You can throw out all of Paul's letters if there's no such thing as the grace of God. This grace of Christ relates to what is either the greatest and most wonderful truth in the world or the most evil deception of sinful men. Because it is so important for us to know the meaning of the word grace, let us go back to the Damascus Road. For this is where Paul learned its true meaning. Do you believe Paul deserved God's blessing as he traveled that road? Remember, this was a man who had hated Jesus and fought against all he taught and had done. Paul had killed the children of God. He had taken them into custody and put them in prison. He has harassed the Christian leaders and hindered their work. Now he was on his way to Damascus to destroy that church. This is a man who heard the preaching of Stephen. He heard the call to repentance and the evidence of the resurrection. He witnessed Stephen's death, and yet he would not believe. He was in a state of absolute unbelief, and he completely rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. You should be able to see that from God's standpoint, there was no reason whatsoever to bless this man. There was no merit in any of his actions. 
He had no grounds to expect forgiveness and eternal life. God came on that Damascus road with something greater and more wonderful than he had ever done before. Jesus Christ came as the fulfillment of all the Old Testament types, and Paul misunderstood it all. But God did bless Paul that day. Jesus Christ came down to meet him. He spoke to him. He convinced and captured and converted him. But in one glorious instant, Paul was forgiven. He was reconciled to God for time and eternity. It was a free gift from God. It was given on account of Jesus Christ at his death. He was justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, this was exactly the opposite of what he deserved. It was an unmerited gift of God. It was not given because of his obedience or anything he had done. In fact, he had done so much to deserve the opposite, namely, to be condemned and separated from God. Why? Because he had rejected the testimony of Stephen. So why did God meet him? The answer has, as a, has, was given him as a free gift, and the word for this action of God is grace. Paul didn't deserve any of this. God poured out his grace upon him. It is the unmerited favor of God. It wasn't earned, wasn't purchased, wasn't given because God wanted, it was given only because God wanted to do it. Pastor Gwen Thomas sums this up. Paul could never have spoken of grace in this way if it had been offered to him by a man. Such an idea would be foreign to the New Testament. It would be overthrowing, overthrow God's wonderful plan of salvation whereby on account of his son Jesus Christ who died for our sins and rose again for our justification, God freely forgives us and acts toward us in grace. Grace is the foundation of your relationship with God. Why? Because you can never do anything to earn it. It is given by God as a free gift. He forgives and he calls you as his own. What was the reason behind this prayer? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Why did Paul offer this prayer for the Philippians? It had to be because grace includes the entire plan of salvation given by God. All Christians stand where Paul stood in the unmerited favor of God. We do. Every one of us. All Christians stand with Paul in this state of unmerited favor. God extends his grace for his own reasons. He does it according to his own counsel. He comes to us in grace and comes into our lives without an invitation. We don't deserve to be forgiven. We can never earn eternal life. God freely forgives us. This is exactly what happened to Paul on the Damascus Road. If you will stop and think on the experience, you can see it also. Here was the persecutor of Jesus Christ, being met by him, freely forgiven him, forgiven by him, restored and brought into a new relationship with Jesus Christ. Is that not wonderful? God did all of that for him. 
And you see how ugly and how nasty and how sinful he had been up to that point. Here's where you stand also. Yes, every Christian stands here before God. So Paul prayed for this for the Philippians because he wanted to remind them forever that everything that comes to us from God comes through grace. You don't, you'll never earn anything from God. You will never be able to purchase anything from him. What you receive to him comes through his grace and through his grace alone. He also wants them to understand that grace comes only through Jesus Christ. It is grace that brings us into the love of God. Therefore, if the grace of God is rejected, then there is absolutely no hope whatsoever. We're forgiven as a gift because Jesus Christ died for us on Calvary's cross. In him, we regain righteousness in the presence of God. Note, righteousness is regained because we have been clothed in his righteousness. We were created in the perfect righteousness, knowledge, and holiness through Adam. Adam sinned and lost that, throwing all men into a state of spiritual death where they had no righteousness of their own. Because we believe and trust in Jesus, he gives back. Righteousness, a righteousness that is far better than what Abraham, of what Adam had. Because Adam had to work for his righteousness. But we receive righteousness through Jesus Christ. We have access into heaven and the presence of God because that access was gained for us through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus gave himself on the cross. His Holy Spirit then indwells us so we may be called his children. Through his Holy Spirit, we become a part of his temple. Paul made it clear that this was the kingdom he wanted them to live in. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Now, you must understand, it is the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that changes us to be more and more like him. Ultimately, it will be his grace which will make us like him. It will make us absolutely and completely like him. That will be because when we see him, we will be made like him. 2 Corinthians 13, 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. When we arrive in heaven, our song will be continually of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because it is through him that God's love has come to us. In conclusion, we need to be reminded again of this great and wonderful foundational truth of the Christian faith. What is that truth? It is that Jesus Christ, God himself, came into this world. God himself dealt with our sins. He dealt with that which separated us from himself. It is through God who reconciled you to himself through Jesus Christ. Paul's prayer was to the Philippians and to all Christians that they should live in the light and joy and wonder of the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. This all on account of whose death and resurrection the grace of God is poured out upon us. This is why Paul said, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Please, open your hearts this day 
give your life to Jesus Christ, who by his amazing grace has come into your heart without invitation and changed you from sinner to saint. Let us pray. Father, you're the creator of this world and everything in it. You're the sustainer of all life, and you are the redeemer of your people. We come today thanking you for this glorious gift of a new heart. We thank you for the promises that come with this new heart. We're filled with wonder and gratitude for the marvelous gift of your Holy Spirit living in us. We could never know a more powerful expression of the eternal hope of your gospel. You have told us we're your temple, and as your children, your Holy Spirit dwells in us. What a privilege and honor you have given us. Help us to live our lives to show that honor. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.